All Things Unexplained, hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Previously on All Things Unexplained. The U.S. government is talking about objects they do not identify. Uh, the head of the new office in, in government that was established by Congress uh, a year ago, and, and th this office has been operating and delivered the, a report to Congress just recently. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, he visited my home a, a month ago. and Really? You know, um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we had a conversation. Of course, I'm not um, interested in any classified information and probably the most juicy information is classified. Because the unclassified uh, uh, information is, is not really uh, convincing, you know, these are fuzzy images. We saw some of them, um, and uh, but the point of the matter is, irrespective, you know, we shouldn't ask the government to declassify. It. We shouldn't wait for them to declassify. We should just look at the sky ourselves, and that's that was the rationale for the Galileo project that I established a year ago, and yes. we're making progress. Actually, this week, uh, the suite of instruments that we assembled this week is starting to collect data. And we will start analyzing it with uh, artificial intelligence algorithms. And once everything works, uh, hopefully through December, we'll start uh, planning for a copy of this system to be placed in a desired location and start getting data in places where reports came uh, either from uh, the government or from uh, citizens. And I, I see that as the only path forward you know like it's the what common sense asks if the government cannot identify things let's help them it's our civil duty and i really don't care what people say on twitter about it <laughs> well that's good i mean <laughs> i i'm sitting here going okay you had somebody in your home that has classified information about unidentified aerial phenomena tim and i watched that congress yeah. session where they were going to talk about some of these things and and you know, we're sitting on pins and needles and they kept saying, um, I think we'll save that for closed session. And we were like, no, tell us more. <laughs> I just don't, how you could have them in your house. So some of that I think, sir, we'll save for closed session. I should say that during the pandemic, the, I had very interesting visitors. I had um, dozens of uh, highly, you know, um, very distinguished uh, people that came, some of which are multi-billionaires, um, and they were all uh, hosted in my porch and, um, because it was during the pandemic. Um, and, um, I found that to be quite exciting. Now, the other thing that happened during the pandemic, since, since my book appeared, I was on about 1800 uh, interviews and most of them taken from my home office. Uh, so I, I'm just coming out to the world now and over the past uh, two weeks for example i was in vegas as i mentioned and 
uh, for the International uh, Women's Forum and and uh, after that the podcast and in, in LA the following day and then this weekend I was in a summit in uh, Palm Desert and after that the public lecture oh. and so in many in all of these events you know young people approach me and say can we have a selfie with you <laughs> and I find that surprising because <laughs> they basically you know and so there was a young woman that came over just a, a few days ago came to me at uh, dinner and said uh, could I have a selfie with you I said okay no problem and uh, I said that I admire what what is happening now uh, in uh, you know the protest by the women in Iran that's very courageous what they're doing and and so she put it on Instagram this selfie and then the following morning she told me you know that you have hundreds of uh, women scientists in Iran that are following your work and are admiring what you're doing and I said no I had no idea so I basically recorded a video for her in which uh, I made a, a public statement about my support uh, for the women of Iran and um, altogether I find it surprising that people know about me because uh, it seems like people are following you I, I was at home most of the pandemic yes. well it's charming that you don't know how popular you are because you are very popular just one quick search on the internet and it's like never-ending information about yourself so so that's impressive but um, one thing that Tim and I discussed is you seem very um, connected to or at the very least sought out by people who have these positions of power that are looking into UAPs. Um, you recently were in DC with um, uh, with the pilot, I believe, and, and astronaut Scott Kelly. And, and clearly, they all believe that you know something or at least have the intelligence to get them closer to what they want to know. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your meeting in, in DC that you had recently? Yeah, so I'm... You know, I, I never manipulate people. I was chair of the astronomy department at Harvard for nine years. And uh, the only reason that I was the longest serving chair is because people believed everything I say. You know, what you see is what you get. And uh, nobody suspects me as, um, as a political figure that tries to manipulate people. Okay, so in a way that helps a lot because you have the trust of, of people. And so I, I went to DC to present in the first meeting of this study that NASA established. Because actually a year earlier, uh, I wrote to NASA and suggested such a study. Uh, as soon as I heard Bill Nelson, after the report was delivered to Congress, that uh, back in June uh, 2021, that he said that scientists should get engaged and help the government. And I, I said, I'm happy to make you happy, basically, <laughs> the, to Bill. Um, and then uh, I attended the forum in, uh, in the Washington National Cathedral where Bill Nelson was and Avril Haynes. Uh, the, uh, she was sitting next to me, the director of national intelligence and, and Jeff Bezos. And at some point, Jeff Bezos was talking about uh, going to, um, you know, bringing people to space with uh, Blue Origin and saying that uh, he was inspired to establish this space company uh, as a result of watching Star Trek as a kid. And I, I whispered uh, uh, to Avril and I said, that, you know, I was never impressed by Star Trek because the storyline violates the laws of physics. So I cannot really enjoy that. And, and she said, uh, we have to work on you, Avril. <laughs> uh, and so that was... Um, uh, so basically what I told the NASA study is 
um, you know, what we are planning to do with uh, the Galileo project, which is to collect data and make it open and report about it in scientific publications. And I described the instruments that we'll be using. And this study is uh, supposed to report back um, in June 2023 to NASA headquarters and basically advise NASA whether uh, how much money and to invest in, in this line of research and, and what to do with it. And the point is the Galileo project is already doing that. Okay, so it's not as if we depend on them. Uh, it's a good thing that NASA shows interest. Uh, I salute that. Uh, but it will take them at least two years before the money is delivered to research groups. Uh, and so we are already doing it based on private funding. And um, so I, I'm happy that it's happening, but it doesn't in any way, uh, you know, postpone the research until the decision is made by the study because we're already doing it. Yeah, you know, that's one of the perplexing things that we've found about the NASA study is their disclosure that, we're spending $100,000 on this, and that, that just seemed like a very minuscule drop in the bucket. Like, what what are they possibly hoping to accomplish right. with just $100,000, or are we missing something there? Yeah, I mean, the study was just um, of a, com uh, you know, it's a committee that is supposed to recommend. It's not a committee that is doing any research, and they will be... Uh, studying only the unclassified information, which, as I said, is much less impressive probably than the um, than the classified portion. And I say that without seeing it. I say that because uh, high-level officials who saw the classified data said that it's quite intriguing. Uh, in fact, Bill Nelson said that the hair in the back of his neck stood up when he saw it. What? I don't know what that <laughs> means. I've never, you know, to figure out what it means, I need to see when does the hair on the back of... <laughs> uh, uh, Nelson stands up uh, by showing him different videos, so I, I don't know what to make of it. But there were others, um, you know, there were presidents and uh, other high-level officials that talked about it, and it sounds to me like that there is very intriguing data, but the government is not a scientific organization, so right. we cannot ask them to do the scientific research for us. We cannot ask them to declassify data because it will reveal the nature of uh, classified sensors that the government is using, and that will compromise uh, national security interests, right? So um, these sensors are used to defend the US, and we don't want adversaries to be aware of their quality. So obviously, they will not release the data, even if the sky is not classified, you know, we can look at objects. So we need to do the work ourselves rather than, you know, sitting back, relaxing and saying, let's wait until the government will give us all the information. I, I don't want them to give us the classified data because it will compromise national security interests. I, I just want to get the data with unclassified sensors, which make a lot of sense. And because the sky is not classified, you know, the sky is something astronomers are studying all the time. Let me you really quickly, if they approached you and said, Avi, we need somebody, we need a scientist to come and work for us and take a look at this classified information. Would you do it? Uh, I would look at any information that advances our knowledge. Now, um, because I want to find the answer, you see. Um, I don't want to compromise national security interests of the US. But if there is something out there, you know, and it's already evident in some existing data, we should be able to see it again, okay? With unclassified, like we 
should be able to see it with instruments uh, that are not classified and then it will be open data. So um, the question is, what is out there? And we just started with the Galileo project, so I don't know the answer. I would be, you know, I'm very curious to know what's out there. And if the government already knows, that would be amazing. Now, um, I should say that um, the person who visited me said, you know, I have an obligation that if I see something, uh, you know, of extraterrestrial origin, I will have to report to the U.S. president. Well. <laughs> well, imagine if, imagine if you discover that the universe is is made mostly of hydrogen. Suppose, you know, you were the one to discover that, which was actually uh, the first person who did the PhD in astronomy at Harvard. Her name was Cecilia Penkopashkin. She realized that the sun is made mostly of hydrogen. She was the first, okay? And of course, the experts at the time, and uh, among them was Henry Norris Russell, the director of the Princeton University Observatory, uh, who was uh, a member of her thesis committee back a hundred years ago. He said, take it out from your thesis. This makes no sense. We know that the sun is made of the same material as the earth. It's made of iron. It's made of heavy elements. And she took it out. And then af after four years of him investing time in the search, in the research, he realized that she was right, that indeed the sun is made of hydrogen. We now know the universe is made mostly of hydrogen in terms of ordinary matter. Okay. And uh, my point is, suppose you were, uh, you you know, you are at the White House at the time and uh, Cecilia Penkopashkin tells you, you know, the universe is made of hydrogen. Would you go to the president and tell the president, look, uh, at the time, uh, we have some confidential information that the universe is made of hydrogen and we, you are the first to know that. That would mean nothing because it's not a matter that relates to the interests of the United States. It's scientific knowledge which is of interest to the entirety of humanity, to all human beings, okay? That's what science is about. It's about the big picture, okay? And, and the knowledge that we acquire by science should be shared by all humans. So it makes very little sense. Suppose there are extraterrestrials. Does it make any sense for the president to be the first one to know about it and the only one? To me, it makes very little sense because it's the reality that we live in. You know, the same as the earth moves around the sun. Okay, the president, will be the first to know that the earth moves around the sun so what <laughs> you know eventually people will freak out everyone will know about it it has nothing to do with national security you know i would better let everyone know about it so that we can then adapt to that reality okay now there is a question of how you know people might react in ways that are not you know it will destabilize society in right. some okay but that's a different consideration but it doesn't mean the press so then you can have a team of uh people who can design how to deliver the message that's a different matter but it should not be kept secret so that at first so that only the president knows about it because it has to do with scientific knowledge okay scientific knowledge should not be restricted that's my fundamental point uh right. i mean unless you're using but do you think the government feels the same way? I don't know, but I'm I'm talking as a scientist, not as, not as a government employee right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. you know, we should see. But my point is that science uh, discovers knowledge that should be shared by all humans. And that was my message uh, that we should all, humanity as a whole benefits from science. Science is an infinite sum game. You know, we are used to zero sum game where if someone benefits, others lose. That's the 
whole idea in politics, you know, that you have uh, you have groups of people fighting for limited resources. For example, in an election, there is a certain number of voters and you fight for, you know, if you get more votes, the other side gets less. That's a zero-sum game, okay? But science is an infinite-sum game in the sense that if one group discovers something, everyone benefits. And it's not as if it's a limited resource of knowledge. Knowledge could be, inf you know, right now the knowledge is an island in an ocean of ignorance. So if we expand uh, the landmass of, of the island, uh, having more knowledge, everyone would benefit from it. It's an infinite-sum game. Everyone wins yeah. by science making discoveries and that's why if we find that we are not alone everyone should know about it ultimately now you can decide about how to deliver the message that's a, that's a, a relevant consideration in order to avoid the you know inst uh, societal instabilities or people behaving in crazy ways uh, but that's just mm -hmm. this is just um, you know it's, it's similar to how to deliver a speech you know that there are people who know what is the you know the, the, that's their craft how to form, uh, formulate things right. such that it will appeal to the public so that that is definitely a consideration but but it should not the information should not be blocked that's my point about things that are scientific right. unless you are trying to use them for your benefit uh, scientific, uh, of national security like if you want to develop some uh, weapon that others will not but we are not talking about that here. We are talking about knowing whether we are alone, which I don't think we can use for the benefit of one nation or another. You know, if you, uh, for the same reason that one colony of ants noticing a biker will not benefit from the biker passing by relative to another colony of ants on the same uh, uh, sidewalk. So anyway, that's my general message is science. The main message of science is let's work together the main message of politics is to separate groups of people from each other. That's also the main message of uh, social media. You know, the algorithms of social media create polarization, and we are we are too much. You know, we are affected too much by those dividing forces. And I think it would be much. I mean, it basically, if we were to continue the path of um, separating groups from each other. Uh, we will be downgraded in the class of intelligent civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. We will not be considered intelligent. The sign of intelligence is to work together. Right. And we're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Loeb, and I'm glad we went down this path about the scientific community because recently on this show, we attempted to do a deep dive into what appeared to be an explosive scientific paper by a a team of Ukrainian astronomers. And, you know, we really tried to dig into it and see, did this make any sense? You know, what was going on here? And shortly after we put that podcast out, we saw that you had a response to their study. And I told CJ, we were at, at actually at our daughter's soccer practice. I said, you know what, we should try to get Avi Loeb on the show and see see if he could tell us because we really we really tried to dig into that if what they were saying had merit I mean it it was potentially one of the most explosive giant leaps of scientific discovery in human history is the way I looked at it so 
tell us what you saw when you looked at what appeared to be a Ukrainian astronomical study on UAPs. So, right, um, the, the purpose of science is to um, increase the signal-to-noise ratio, basically reduce as much as possible the level of noise so that you can see the signals sticking out. Okay, that's, that's what uh, most experiments aim at. And that's why I was reluctant to even read the Ukrainian report because uh, there is a lot of noise in a, in a war zone. Okay, that's the last place on earth where I would put mm -hmm. my instruments because the, the, there are all kinds of um, secretive drones uh, and all kinds of equipment flying around. And um, anyway, uh, after the visit of uh, uh, this uh, person from government that I mentioned before, uh, he uh, urged me to think about uh, writing a scientific paper about UAP. And I, I looked at the Ukrainian report the following morning and uh, what they claimed was to see uh, two types of objects, bright objects and dark objects. And the dark objects, they said, uh, are detected at a distance of about um, 10, kilo 10 kilometers and they move at speeds that exceed the escape speed from the Earth, up to 15 kilometers per second. Okay. And they said these are 10 meters in size. And I immediately calculated that they would create a huge fireball if they were to interact with the air, like any object moving through the air. And the, the point is they were claiming that they are dark. Okay, so clearly no fireball. So in order for them to be dark relative to the brightness of the air, they have to block light, electromagnetic radiation. And my point is, if they interact with electromagnetic fields blocking light, they should also interact with electrons in the atmosphere that produce electric and magnetic fields so they cannot just block light and cannot block the particles of air so my point is they must interact with the air if they are dark relative to this and therefore they they must create a fireball now i said okay so what went wrong it turns out that they didn't measure the distances in a reliable way the best way to measure distances is by triangulation if you measure the measure the position of the object in the sky from different directions just like we have two eyes so that we can estimate distances you know all the animals all, all the humans that had one eye did not survive because when a tiger would come close to them they would think the tiger is far away and uh, only those with two eyes could tell the distance of the tiger and manage to escape so that's why we have two eyes the survival of the fittest um, so anyway so the way to tell distance is to watch an object from different directions they did not do that they had one site observations of the dark objects and they estimated distance indirectly and i argued okay maybe they got it wrong the distance is 10 times closer so instead of 10 kilometers it's one kilometer and then you end up with a speed of one and a half kilometers per second with a size of an object of one meter uh, and that turns out to be the parameters of artillery shells so i said oh. you know you would, they would not produce a fireball. These are artillery shells, or they could even be closer and be bullets, you know, or or even closer and be something smaller. So my point was that their distance estimate is incorrect. And I just wrote a quick paper about it. And uh, until they demonstrate they measure distances correctly, you know, we should not pay attention. And uh, it turns out the uh, Academy of Sciences of Ukraine released around the same time released um, a statement saying that they don't believe the distance uh, calculations of 
of the of this uh, paper okay so it was never uh, internally uh, reviewed and so the thing that really surprised me was as soon as my paper came out um uh, those believers on uap immediately started to attack me because they said well this looks just like the nimitz incident 20 years earlier and i say that's irrelevant these people are you know you need the only way to answer my criticism is by telling me why the distances are correct okay that's the only way you can't make analogies between yeah. an event occurring now and an event that occurred 20 years ago because it's a different place and, and, and a different environment this is a war zone the nimitz was not a war zone so in order to eliminate all the uh, possible objects that are flying around such as drones uh, artillery shells bullets in order to eliminate them from being possible contributors to what these people reported you have to tell me why the distance estimate is correct and that's the only way to but it, it showed to me that you know by trying to maintain common sense i get attacked from both directions you know about attacked by the mainstream of scientists right. and about the ukrainian report i get attacked by those believers that are not really paying attention to scientific details. And that shows to me why it's so difficult to, to maintain common sense in the current environment, you know, like that is very polarized on any subject. But I don't care about both uh, extremes. I think, you know, we should follow the scientific method and figure it out. Right. And, you know, I think it's just like you say in your book, Extraterrestrial, you say science at its core demands humility. And that the proper response to this is wonder and following the data. So I think it's it's very much like that. You're just following the data. Yeah. And I think it's okay to pursue something, but you have to be humble and, and see that you could be wrong. Right. Which is pretty much the approach of a kid. You know, that, that's the way kids learn. Right. And, and sometimes they make mistakes. You know, right. they bump into objects, they get bruised. Um, so you have to be ready for making mistakes. But um, the point is, if you think you know the answer in advance, you know, for example, a colleague of mine after a, a, a lecture about Oumuamua, when we left the room, he said, Oumuamua is so weird, I wish it never existed. And, and you know, <laughs> it shows that uh, experts would much rather, you know, see everything conform with their past knowledge and when there is something unusual showing up they refuse to consider possibilities and that's really unfortunate because science should be fun you know it should be discovering new things and that you know in my childhood i remember very vividly being at the dinner table and the adults in the room arguing about things and then i would ask I would ask about a difficult <laughs> question and they dismissed the question because they didn't know the answer to it and i hated that feeling and that's pretty mm -hmm. much what guides me i hate the feeling of people pretending that they know more than they actually know well then you came to the right spot because <laughs> we don't pretend to know anything <laughs> i wrote an essay a week ago saying that the biggest privilege of being a scientist is that when you are asked a question you are allowed to say i don't know you are that's your privilege if you don't know you can you don't need to pretend anything you can just say i don't know and that is not a privilege that is available to politicians mm -hmm. politicians have to pretend that they know the answer even if they don't know and that's the only way for them to keep their followers believing what they say right 
Uh, and so being a politician is really, uh, I would say, a not so pleasant task because you have to pretend it's all about how you look. No. Whereas being a scientist, you can just be straightforward. That's, that's great. It's like wearing a T-shirt instead of being in a suit all day. And I'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up again. <laughs> yeah. We're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Loeb. I love how you do thought experiments with your classes. I always loved how I would read about Albert Einstein's thought experiments to figure things out. And listening to you today and reading your book and, and reading about all the barriers that we have to scientific progress, be it through the popularity you know, of our topic, determining whether it gets funding or not, you know, students chasing things that there's no evidence for, such as the multiverse. There's only evidence for that, you know, in Marvel and DC, pretty much. Social media, you know, determining what we're going to research based on how many likes it gets on Facebook and Twitter. You know, we, there's all these barriers to scientific progress and to us, us reaching out to the stars and finding alien civilizations. So it made me have my own thought experiment because you talked about, you know, if we have the ability to send out satellites and probes, etc., then there's a great chance that other alien civilizations have reached that point as well. Well, we, we have all these barriers to scientific accomplishment. I wondered if alien civilizations face the same barriers that we do. Are they... Are extraterrestrials having to worry about funding and politicians and social media, or have they progressed somehow beyond that? Can they just, you know, reach out into any scientific endeavor they want to with no worries whatsoever? Well, that's an excellent question. And what I would rely on is statistics. You know, if there are billions of examples of things like the life that we find here on Earth, then probably... Uh, there are many possible outcomes, uh, many possible uh, realizations of what the technological civilization looks like, and it could be quite different than what we have here. Uh, and that's why, you know, we should hope to see the smartest kid in that class. I mean, there are many students and, you know, to my students at Harvard, when on the first day of class, I usually say that half of you, <laughs> such that half of the class is below it, for every class. And, but the students at Harvard, they all think that they're the smartest, so they find it very depressing to hear that. <laughs> but my point is that there must be a large distribution of, um, of possible histories that was realized because the dice was rolled billions of times. And, so, uh, and maybe on a given planet, it was rolled multiple times. We don't have evidence that there was an intelligent civilization before us on Earth, but on other planets, it may have come and gone, you know, like, um, and so, the point is that everything was realized, but we should seek the most intelligent student. And it's very likely that um, the most intelligent is the one that survived the longest and that was that sent the most number of probes that were self-replicating. So by now they populate everywhere. You know, you can have self-replicating probes by having 3D printers that once it get, lands on a planet, it reproduces copies of itself. And in that way, you can exponentiate the population. And it's sort of like biological creatures um, uh, that multiply over time. And uh, that could be the re 
reality that we live in. But then you will be dominated by the most successful student in the class. And, and um, I think that's the most interesting one to learn from rather than uh, those classes or all those uh, students below the median. And we might be somewhere in the middle. So that's why we can learn a lot by studying it. And that's why a sense of humility is, is in place. You know, we, we shouldn't assume uh, because, you know, the cosmic play started 13.8 billion years ago. And uh, we just arrived at the end in the last few million years. And we are not at the center of the stage. So clearly the play is not about us. And the, the only way to find out what it's about is to find other actors who have been around for longer. And um, these are all general principles that teach us uh, humility that basically say, let's learn from nature. Nature is our teacher, you know, by looking up, by investing in the search for uh, interstellar objects that may look unusual, search of unidentified objects near Earth. Let's just figure out what they are. If all of them turn out to be natural objects like birds, insects, or human-made objects like drones, airplanes, satellites, so be it. But we need to look before we make a judgment. Whereas until recently, it was all about making a judgment and ridiculing the subject. And I just think it's inappropriate given the importance of this question. Right. And, you know, I find this something very frustrating. And that is there seems to be this source of disinformation coming from somewhere recently in the New York Times. They had an anonymous source quoted as saying, well, you know, this these Pentagon sightings, you know, the report, it's mostly going to be Chinese drones, and it's mostly going to be space junk and weather balloons. You know, we've been hearing about weather balloons since Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is a, they are missing an important point, okay? It may well be a mixed bag, and I don't care if it's 50% Chinese, 20%, you know, Russian, whatever. The point is, even if there is one object, just one out of hundreds, which happens right. to be extraterrestrial in origin, that's what we are trying to find. Okay, and that would make a huge yeah. impact on the future of humanity. So it's not about all of them. It's not about most of them. It's not even about 10% of them. It's about one object. And uh, unless we check all the objects and verify there is nothing, you know, out of hundreds of cases, we should keep looking. And uh, that's the point they're missing. So just, you know, it's just like going to the beach. Most of the time you find rocks and seashells that are naturally produced, but every now and then you see a plastic bottle. So you might say, okay, I go to the beach and I see all these rocks, therefore there is nothing out there. I say, no, just walk another mile. Mm -hmm. If you see a plastic bottle, you know that there is a civilization out there. So yeah. we should keep searching. And uh, once you see one plastic bottle, that's enough. I mean, I don't care how many rocks you've seen along the way. Yeah, that is such a great point that you make. But I do believe that the government is starting to believe or has believed and is just now sort of dis disseminating that information. But th this person that came to your house, are, are they on the UAP task force for the government? No, that person is the head of that. Is the head of the UAP task force. Yes. And they have and they have asked you to do a report on UAPs. So some of that, I think, sir, will save for closed session. I mean, I, I can connect the dots. 
No, we were just we we had a uh, we we had a casual conversation, and he just said that it would be nice to write a scientific paper on the subject. And then I looked at the Ukrainian report, and I wrote about that. But it's not as if he asked me to do something specifically, but. Uh, it was a very pleasant conversation, I must say. Um, yeah, I and I just, uh, I, I just, um, I just talked about uh, what the plans are uh, for the Galileo project, you know. And um, but as I said, there are lots of people that come to me and speak with me, and um, and some, you know, some of these have to do with the media. You know that um, I just over the past week I got the two requests for from major uh, journals that, to do a profile and so forth. And um, also, there is a, a documentary that um, will, will uh, was was approved for production, and so. Um, but all of this is sort of in the background, and uh, what really matters is the data that we will collect. That's that's really what's most important. Uh, just an anecdote that um, at some point someone um, tweeted that uh, he said, "My wife." Uh, has a new crush on uh, a scientist called Avlov that she watched <laughs> on television. Uh, she thinks that he's much sexier than Anthony Fauci. <laughs> and, and so I immediately reported to my wife. Uh, I immediately reported to her, and she said, "Fauci is a low bar." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I like your wife. Your, your wife's gonna put you in quarantine if you're not careful. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. Find us on Venmo under the business accounts at Bigfoot UFO. If you can't get enough of us, please check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.